Hello and welcome back to Brits on Flicks, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, dissect and deliberate over a movie of our choosing. This month's movie is The Big Lebowski, which, you know what, it's one of those movies that I'm pretty sure I'm going to mess up the review, so I'm just going to go with it, uh, and I'm happy with that. So as usual, Brian, why don't we um, discuss how you discovered this movie, or maybe the filmmakers? Uh, well, the, the filmmakers, obviously, Coen Brothers, uh, <coughs> arguably some of the best working in Hollywood today, and the first film I ever saw by them was Raising Arizona, and I saw that when I was a kid with my family, and we found it hilarious, uh, absolutely hilarious. It, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen, mm. to be honest, at that age. Yeah. Um, and, you know, b- back then when I saw it, I wasn't so much interested in the names of the people behind the uh, the camera. Uh, and it wasn't until late 90s when I watched Fargo and I thought, blimey, this is, this is a damn good film, you know. F- Fargo was like getting all the buzz when it came mm. out and I watched it and it's like, man, who, who are these guys? And when I looked them up, I'm like, Raising Arizona, boom! And it's like suddenly everything just clicked into place and these guys well, from that moment, it was just on my radar. So, uh, yeah, I, I pretty much lapped up everything they mm. did from that point on. Um, Big Lebowski, obviously, being one of them. Uh, and, yeah, this, this to me, obviously, it was, it was in the thick of the 90s, and I think there's definitely something of a Tarantino vibe again uh, within this, um, but... Just like, yeah, it, it, it's definitely their own beast, and we'll get into that. But it, it just, I think, I think the period that it hit, it was that kind of Tarantino, yeah. Tarantino seemed to be affecting a lot of filmmaking and filmmakers, not always for the better um, around that time, but Coen Brothers, Big Lebowski, definitely one of them, and definitely one that, that, does more than just being a Tarantino clone. So, yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's pretty much my experience with it, what brought me to it. So, what about you? Yeah, much the same, actually. It was Raising Arizona, um, which, let's face it, it's just a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, even when you watch it now, Nicolas Cage's performance is perfect, John Goodman, the whole lot. It's it's just It just works tremendously well. It's got those moments of just... Sheer lunacy that's almost like a, a Looney Tunes cartoon came to life. Um, and again, I wasn't into the filmmakers and that, even into the 90s, and I stumbled across a couple of those movies. And they seemed to be the kind of filmmakers where I would watch one of their movies and then scratch my head and go, huh, okay. And then the second time I would watch it, I would get it. You know, I wouldn't always get their movies straight away, but, you know, in the second, third time, I'd be like, this is just fantastic. Fargo was one of the ones um, I remember picking up in VHS and everybody was, you know, raving about it, won Oscars, and I, and I watched it the first time. And I was like, no, it's, it's all right. You know, I kind of get it. And then the second time you watch it, you're like, man, this is this is pretty good. And then the third time you watch it, you're like, what? this is just, this is amazing. This is a, a masterpiece. And, and I find that with 
a couple of their, their movies, they really grow on you. You know, you, there's things that you can watch repeatedly and you continue to get different things out of it each time. And to echo your point, they are some of the most interesting filmmakers today. The, the, the kind of name that makes you sit up and pay attention to whatever they're going to bring out. So, particularly, uh, The Big Lebowski was one that I watched a hell of a lot when I was younger, it was it was one that it was one of their movies that I put on, and straight away I got it. I enjoyed it, um, and watched it plenty of times. Yeah, so I suppose we should just get into it, Brian. Yeah. Do you have a you. yeah? Do you have a snazzy synopsis that you've borrowed, or it's 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 more of a byline than anything. Um, <laughs> I. I I was going to try and synopsize this film and then I realised it was like banging my head against a brick wall, quite frankly. It's not really that kind of film. No. Um, so, yeah, I, I took a little bit of what somebody wrote and I tacked a little bit on the end. Uh, so, yeah. Jeff the Dude Lebowski, mistaken for a millionaire of the same name, seeks restitution for his ruined rug and enlists his bowling buddies to help get it. But in doing so, he becomes embroiled in a kidnapping scam. But who is really behind it? All trails lead back to the big Lebowski. Well done. Um, this, this is one of these movies where the story is definitely secondary to everything that goes on here. It is primarily... Um, a sort of rip on detective movies. You know, the, the ones where you have this down and he's luck detective who gets embroidered in some case and then there's another case and somehow they come together at the end and everything is solved. But it's done through a very strange prism of the cone dwellers who imbue this with ridiculously fun characters and, and situations that sometimes just have zero things to do with the plot at all. They're just, you know brief moments of, of these characters doing wacky things. It's it's a really nice um a really nice mix that's going on here. What, what do you think of the, the, the basic storyline, the sort of mystery that drives it forward? Yeah, well like you said it is kind of secondary. That's not to say it isn't there. There is there no. is there is mm -hmm. a story there. But it, it, I think you get more fun out of the movie when you choose not to follow that story. Mm. Um it is essentially about the characters it's about stepping into the world of these characters and going along for the ride um like our main protagonist so this, <laughs> yeah. this guy jeff jeff lebowski he's an imbecile he's an imbecile and he hangs around with imbeciles the only difference is he's less imbecilic than the imbeciles he hangs around with and the imbeciles that kind of come into his life mm. he, he seems somewhat I don't know smarter I guess <laughs> when, you, when you tally up the people that come knocking on his door you know we have these nihilists mm. we have these two uh, thugs. Uh, thugs who are working for this, this movie producer guy um, and it's only by virtue of just how stupid they are that Jeff Lebowski comes out looking even remotely intelligent, mm. I guess. Um, but I think it's just it's it's the completely laid back nature of this guy 
that mm. really sucks you in. Like he, if if he was any more laid back, he would be horizontal. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a really weird character because I, I noticed this time around that, like you say, he, he's an imbecile, but sometimes he'll have moments of lucidity where he is like pretty on the ball. Mm. You know, where he'll just you turn and you'll be like, oh, hang on, he kind of knows exactly what's happening. Like when he goes to see Lebowski, and he's. Hey man, my rug man, and he's just going on about that. But then he realises pretty soon that he's going to get nowhere with this guy. Mm. So he just shuts down the, the conversation, leaves, and then still leaves the building with a rug because mm. he outsmarts the, the other guy. He just and, and there's certain other moments within the script as well when he when he cracks wise over certain things, just pulls out jokes. You're like, this this guy seems to have faculties at the moment, and in the next scene he'll be completely devoid of them. He, he chooses to live the life of an imbecile. That's that's what I get the sense. At some yeah. point, I could very easily believe this guy having had some kind of almost high-flying office job and then yeah. at some point in life decided, you know what, there's, there's more to life than this. Mm. And he discovered that that more to life is actually doing less, doing as little as possible yeah. and just enjoying his time with his friends. It's almost like a part of him never really grew up and he's happy to stay that way. Yeah, it's nice to say, but I, I see it more as a kind of zen. You know, he's found his <laughs> happiness. You know, he'll walk about in his underwear or shorts with a dressing gown. He, he doesn't care about what other people think about him or the image he projects. He is just happy and content with the person that he is and he doesn't care if it annoys anybody else that is him to, he is to an honest. extent to an extent but you do see a little bit in him where like he's constantly trying to get people to call him the dude um <laughs> and, it, and it's like it's this strange thing that maybe part of him is a bit zen but also maybe mm. part of him wants to project that and he's, he kind of stumbles mm. through life failing a lot of the time and and this 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 idea, this this persona that he's created for himself, the dude, mm-hmm. works fine when he's with his friends, but when he's face to face with this millionaire, um, who just doesn't respond to that, it, it gets under his skin. It's like, what, you know, why can't you see me, man? I'm the dude. It's like, it, but, uh, could you see this character? If he had a little bit more drive and a, and a little bit more um, something that he was reaching for, could you see him being a cult leader? <laughs> I think to some extent he is a cult leader. I think uh, this, the whole bowling thing is uh, mm. is where his uh, parishioners lie. Uh, it's just yeah. he's he's chosen the wrong parish. That's the mm-hmm. problem. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's just even, I mean, the bowling. The bowling's perpetrated all through the movie as part mm-hmm. of it, but one of the craziest things in the movie is just when he's lying there listening to a tape of a bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like... <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's, he's tapping the tune on his chest. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. Like, It's just, you look... Pointless, but there is so many crazy characters and so many fun characters. Philip Seymour Hoffman, you just, I mean, you know the guy's a great actor, but see when he was doing these small roles in the movies, he just nails it. That kind of sleazy, weaselly kind of guy he plays perfectly. He's, he's like Christopher Walken. He's the king of the cameo. Mm. Um, you know, you put him in a small role, 
that on the page maybe doesn't have a lot going for it and and he can just do something with it. Benicio del Toro's like that as well. Yeah. But, um it just it is it, you see him squirming and it's when he do, when he does that really awkward laugh because he knows <laughs> that actually he's he's doing something maybe he shouldn't do and this mm-hmm. guy is irritating him but he can't show that he's being irritated so he just he just has his really nervous kind of mm-hmm. laugh and it's it's just it's perfect Philip Seymour Hoffman I mean he, oh, as yeah. you know he's he's my favorite actor so I'd actually forgot he was here, to be honest. Yeah. It's been mm-hmm. so long since I'd seen The Big Lebowski. Um, I, I'd forgot. And then, like as I was putting it on and his, his name came up in the credits, I was like, oh, yeah, boom. Um, and I didn't remember him being in as much as he is. Yeah. I remembered like a couple of scenes, but he, he actually gets a good chunk in this movie mm. and he, he, does, he does a fair bit with it. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Let's jump onto the, the bowling trio of Steve Buscemi and, and John Goodman. Who? Shut the f up, Donny! <laughs> Shut the f that, up, Donny! Donny is pretty much there just to be. In this. He's, yeah, he's just been crapped upon by a great height, <laughs> and it's just like you're like, why are they friends? <laughs> really? None of them like each other. It mm-hmm. seems like it's the, it's the um, friends by proxy. You know, they don't have anybody else, so they just gravitate because they have this kinship. But John Goodman is tremendous in this movie. Um, his, he he's the catalyst behind a lot of the things going wrong, but right for the story to progress. Mm. Um, just this gun-toting maniac that loves an argument. If he can make a stand and shout, all the better doing it. Mm. It's a common this theme in Coen Brothers films. If if you look throughout their body of work, it's a common theme. This this idea of stupid people doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that reached its height with Burn After Reading, but um, yeah. but like like even Raising Arizona, you know, stupid people doing stupid things. It's it's just a common trope within their work, mm-hmm. and Goodman just personifies that here with with this character who who just won't shut up going on about his time in Nam and <laughs> you know <laughs> relates every single situation in some way. To his time in Nam and how it's it's a disgrace to to mm. veterans like him who who fought for people's civil rights and things like that in Nam and it's like just the way that Lebowski corrects him on it all the time and it's like how is that e- how is that even related man <laughs> it's like, got nothing to do with it but uh, yeah just a brilliant character um, yeah, and, and, and they don't they don't placate each other any either like even on phone mm. phone calls or in person if they're unhappy with each other like Lebowski just tells them you know just yeah. you go and f yourself but this this guy this character as well that uh, Goodman plays what I do like about him even though he is an imbecile. Hmm. He is a man of his word, and he's he's not um, he's not one of these who who puts on the big hard man act, and then when it comes to the crunch, bails. Hmm. Like so, we get this scene later on in the film when the three nihilists are there and, and like threatening them, and they've got weapons in hand, and he's just having none of it. He's like, "You you got nothing. <laughs> you got nothing, dudes. Come at me. Come at me with, with everything you've got. I'll take you down." Hmm. You know. Starts relating back to his time in Nam again, and it's like in another film I could very much imagine him, you know, us, us finding out that he's all mouth, but mm-hmm. because of that 
kind of strength of character he shows in that moment. You, you do believe that actually he 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 was in them and he probably did go through some stuff. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, just but, just yeah. quickly, I'd like to jump back a little bit to um, Lebowski himself because the actual plot, uh, the story is obviously Bunny is missing, and uh, he gets tasked to do a part on it. But almost instantly, when he's talking to Goodman character, he he answers. He he tells you everything that's going to happen in the plot. You know, it wasn't a kidnapping. <laughs> she's disappeared. You know, it's not her toe. He he, the his first reactions are correct. Every single turn, <laughs> and it's just the movie catching up with that. It's just a fun mm. moment. Um, Steve Buscemi was perfect casting because he has the eternal sad sack. Yeah, you know, yeah. you just you feel for the guy, mm. and it, I don't know. You, he never reacts to the al- comments. I, I think there's always been that guy. To be honest, I don't know if you remember your days in school. I know I certainly tried to forget mine, um, but. We did hang around in groups. I remember there being five of us who hung around in a group together. And there there was that guy, you know. There's, there's always... If, if I'm being perfectly honest, much to my shame, I probably was the John Goodman character. Um, <laughs> which, uh, which, yeah, I don't really like admitting. But, um, you know, we, we had that guy as well, the one that... It's essentially the doormat, the punching bag. Mm. But you love them. And, and you... The, the the insults you hurl are, are they're really made in a loving way, and that's hard to see from anyone outside of that situation, outside of that social group. It's only when you belong to that social group, and I think that's why Donnie doesn't react to it. It's just like, you know, it, it, it's it's this, this this is what happens. This is, this is the group yeah. dynamic. I've accepted it a long time ago, and it's it's just yeah, it is a. a a loving gesture, for want of a better um, word. But. So, what exactly is Jesus in this movie for? Like this character, he's just like <laughs> he's like one of these crazy characters that they've just thought, you know, um, can you do this? Yeah, we're just going to throw it in there. It's going to be nothing to, to to anything, but we're just going to put this crazy character in there. Mm. I, I I think it's just this this idea that, and I, and I think. I think this is the reason for giving him the name Jesus as well. You know, when when you when you say Jesus, obviously, th- th- no, you know, most people would say even if they don't believe he was the son of God, they would say he, he was definitely a holy man. You know, all, all mm. this nonsense. So I I think as, get, applying that name to someone who ha- who clearly out of all of them has got the most talent when it comes to uh, the, the bowling alley, he would have the most <laughs> prestige. He's the person that most people would look up to, the people mm. most people on that bowling alley would want to be, um, you know, and hang around with. And it turns out he's a paedophile, you yeah. know? Um, oh, well, a, a pederast, it says. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's the same it's, thing. I, I think it's the same thing. It's, uh, I, yeah, it's, uh, I'd, I'd never heard that term being used before. But um, so... Yeah, so to find that, so I think that's that. I think essentially that's what they're saying with this character that the the people in life who because you got to remember he's a contrast mm. to. I mean, everyone is in some way or another is a contrast to our main character, which is uh, Jeff Jeff Lebowski, mm-hmm. the little Lebowski. Um, so he he's when you look at Jeff from the outside, you know, if if you had a man like that in in our in our world, if you knew someone like that, 
You would say he was a waster. You would mm-hmm. say he's, you know, he needs to go out and get a job. You'd say that he's just a lazy git, you know, uh, and that he's a brainless wonder, an imbecile, as I already said, you know. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's it, with that character, it is showing the flip side of that. It's like, well, okay, you, we say these things about this guy because that's what he looks like on the outside, but actually, every, every Jesus, you know, has got something in the closet, so to speak. Uh, that, 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 <laughs> you know, people that we put on a pedestal have something that actually maybe they're not the, not the saint they've been painted out to be. So, like, I mean, beyond that, you don't have to read any of that into it. He's just mm. a funny character. It's just a bit of a joke. Ridiculous. Yeah. I, I do love him and his silent partners in matching clothes or colours. They always seem to be, you know, like the dude and Donnie and John Goodman's character just turn up wherever they are. These guys have colour matching outfits specifically for the bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of creates a sense of uh, competition and, and peacocking, almost. Mm. Yeah, it's just fun. Uh, we've also got Julianne Moore's character in this, mm. who mm. is a terrifically weird, out-there character. Um, yeah, it's not, not a character I can warm to. I think out of all of them in mm. in the film, and I think that that's not down to Julianne Moore. I think she gives a great performance, as she always does. But I think it's it's just it's that type, it's that mm. person type, you know the the avant garde artist who flies across the room in a harness, throwing paint, at <laughs> a pretentious prick, basically, is yeah. what they've got written all over them. Um, so, yeah, they're not my favourite kind of people, and even the 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 friend she has just sitting there, played <sighs> by um, oh, what's his name. <sighs> Thewlis, David Thewlis. David Thewlis. So, yeah, David Thewlis just randomly popping up there. Um, just to laugh. Just to laugh. <laughs> that laugh. Yeah, and and it's, 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 it's a laugh that does make you want to slap him. You yes. Know? And it, that's clearly intentional. That's mm-hmm. who they want this guy to be. He gets under the skin of, of Lebowski. You can mm-hmm. see that. I think he breaks his zen for a moment there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... Probably not my favourite characters, but they, no. they are amusing. We do get the fun performance of Peter Stromer uh, as the head nihilist. <laughs> <laughs> the nihilist. Yeah. I love these nihilists. We're nihilists. We believe in nothing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then they're like, that's not fair. It's like, You're supposed to be nihilists. You don't believe in anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such great characters, especially um, mm. they appear, there's fun at the end. Um, I particularly like them when they appear in the dream sequence. Um, <laughs> you know, with the, the, the onesies and the, 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 the scissors. There's a couple of dream sequences in this um, which are, are pretty fun and out there and just wacky looking. We get we get the, the sort of nightmarish one where um, he's, he's hunted by the nihilist and then we get the fun one where he's, it's all bowling regalia. We yeah. get... Um, Julianne Moore say, on, on the pedestal is the, the unattainable woman with the, the, the bowling ball breasts um, and you get him dancing into the, the scene and this really weird it's just it's a really weird put together scene that, that somehow is extremely fitting in this movie yet stands out by a country male has just been extremely weird as well 
Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think of these kind of sequences that they appear? I mean, I think they're a whole lot of fun. They're fun, um, and just bonkers, really. Like, if 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 you get through this scene, if like the first one in particular, if you get through that first dream sequence and you're still with the film, then you're a fan, I think. Mm. If if you if you if you if you watch that dream sequence and you sit there thinking, why, why, then you're not a fan. You're that's the time to switch off. Maybe leave it. It's not for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think. I, I mean, there could be something underneath there. You know, something, some hidden thing that the Cohen brothers have put there. I, I know they put a lot of uh, kind of. Jewish commentary within their films, um, like I, I don't particularly like Bart and Fink. That's one of my least favourites of theirs. Right. Um, it is a very Jew. It, it's steeped in Jewish culture, and, and I think I think to get the fullest out of that film, you, you would probably need to be Orthodox Jew. I don't know. Um, I, I quite enjoy it. Right, okay, well maybe that says something about you You're a se- secretly Jewish underneath But yeah, I, a lot of the stuff in there I don't quite get And mm. I think it is because of, of that angle um, Yeah, I, I don't know, maybe that's just me um, Could be backing up the wrong tree on that But Yeah, and I think the, the Coen brothers, like I said that You take the plot points in this movie The basic story beats that the, 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 the the bunny is missing in the plot points, and it is a generic detective story. Um, and the kind of Coens hide the story within these characters, and I mean, it gets the revealing all that at the end. It's really interesting and it's fun, but it's not the biggest part of the movie. Like I said, it's all about the characters. But I just like how they had it, and, and other filmmakers may have brought that more to the forefront, and, and it would have been less compelling or less interesting for me anyway. Yeah. So you were saying that you feel this is inspired by Tarantino. Would you like to expand on that a little bit? Just because narrative isn't the primary thing that drives the film. Plot Mm -hmm. isn't the primary thing that drives the film. Characters Mm -hmm. are. So you can have a scene that... You can have a few scenes in this that actually you could take out of the film. And it you wouldn't notice, per se, but having hmm. them there enriches the experience because of the characters, because of the dialogue, because of the interplay between them. That interplay feels very naturalistic. Again, it doesn't feel plot-driven. You know, a lot, a lot of dialogue in films is about how, how do we expose the truths of the plot? How do we explode, expose something that will then lead us on to plot point B? That doesn't seem to be what the Coen brothers are concerned with here. And in the same way that Tarantino writes his films, you know, he does have a plot, but then he'll stay on a particular exchange between two characters for a good 10 minutes when he could have done it in 30 seconds in order to get us to the next part of the plot, the way that most films, most narratively driven films do. Mm -hmm. Whereas... With Tarantino, he doesn't do that. He's like, okay, I know where I want to get to, but I'm going to have fun getting there. I'm going to, I'm going to let these characters be who they are in this moment 
and see where they take me. So he's, he's you know, he's, he's not rushing to get there as a writer. He knows his characters. He's, he, he's really developed these people in his head first, and then he lets them have a conversation. He sits back and he just listens to them in his head, and then he puts that down on paper. Um, and I feel like that's the way that the Coen brothers have written here, you know, and the way that they write a lot throughout some of their movies. Um, mm. So, you know, you will have these sequences in which you've got Donnie and uh, Goodman and, and, and Lebowski sat there just saying things that actually we don't necessarily need to hear, but I enjoy mm. it because I feel like I'm yeah. with some friends. I feel like this is a group of friends I could be, you know, in with and just listen to them kind of having these exchanges. Uh, it feels real, it feels natural, it feels fun, and that's what draws you into the majority of the film. So. Yeah. Agreed. So, um, anything else you want to drop in about The Big Lebowski? Or are we ready for wrap-ups? I, I, I did love... Uh, well, two things. I did love the fact that we got a nice cameo by Amy Mann. I don't know if you know who she is. Um... She basically did the soundtrack to one of my favourite films, Magnolia. Um, you know, a, another film that a lot of people would say is Tarantino-inspired. Mm. But she, uh, yeah, she, she uh, did the music to that. She did the songs for that film. Um, I, I do love the soundtrack to that, actually. Um, and when she, she, she popped up as one of the nihilists. So she's the one whose toe got cut up. Not toe, her finger. Was it, was it toe? It was toe, yeah. So she's the one whose toe got cut off. Um, so when the camera comes in and I'm like, that's Amy Mann. That's, like, that's, the, that's the woman who did the soundtrack to one of my favourite films. So yeah, that, that was a nice cameo. Bit of a bizarre one, just the fact that she randomly pops up there. Yeah. Um, also, um, someone whose name has been popping up for me a lot recently um, is Carter Burwell, who does the soundtrack. Right. Um, because uh, I loved the soundtrack to Three three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Mm. Um, it, 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 I, I, you know, I, I listened to that soundtrack a lot after seeing the film. Recently got into the Psycho films in a big way. I mean, I've always been a fan of the original, but I, I've, I've recently got into those sequels. And, and just that whole franchise, really good. But um, Carter Burwell, again, pop, popping up on Psycho 3, did the sound... Did the, score to Psycho 3 and it's just this has just all happened in a recent space of time I've just watched mm. all these films and Carter Burwell's name seems to be popping up um, so yeah I, I think he does a good job here as well he does music that kind of taps into that kind of Southern American vibe um, yeah. it has that kind of flavour to it so those kind of movies which do tend to be movies that star people like Jeff Bridges like Woody Harrelson you know mm people of that ilk um, and also cinematography obviously by Roger Deakins who quite frankly is the best in the business um, for, for my money uh, I, always does a good job his blacks are black he's got no problem using shadows and and, and yeah like I say one of my favourite cinematographers probably my favourite cinematographer um, mm. but uh yeah, it just just every every name on this film basically is a class act, and yeah. that's part of what the Coen Brothers do. And I think that's because of their talent; they attract the best talent around them. 
Um, and yeah, and then when when you do, if the script is on point, you get gold like this. An absolutely brilliant ride. I honestly couldn't say what the overall theme of this film is. I'm not quite sure what the message of it is. Like if you look at a film like No Country for Old Men, I, I can see a very clear thing that the Coens are trying to say there. You know, there's, there's a very, something they're trying to grapple with, a theme that, that kind of jumps out at me. Um, I don't get that here. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't come out at the end of this thinking that was a, a lesson on, I don't know, I don't know what that was a lesson on, because it was mostly just, again, stupid people doing stupid things. Don't be stupid, um, stupid. Don't, don't be stupid. Um, or if you are going to be stupid, do it like a Zen master. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll just go into an update. Uh, up, up, uh, whatever. Um, wrap up? Wrap up. Go into your wrap the up. One. There you that go. is the one. Um, I, I love the big list. I've loved it since I uh, first saw it mm. back in the, the late 90s. Um, it's been a little while since I've seen it. And um, I was a little bit disappointed when you sent me a message and went, shall we do The Big Lebowski tonight? Because I wanted to watch it again. <laughs> just, I'd already formulated an opinion. I just wanted to watch it again because it is effortless. It zips by. Everything works tremendously well for me. We've said enough superlatives about it. It's a terrific movie. It is five out of five. It is one of the Cohen's best movies. Full stop. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I, I, just as you were saying then, for some reason, it popped into my head. I forgot to mention the kid. So the kid that they go to, uh, to try, and uh, Goodman's character stats trying to... <laughs> <laughs> trying to threaten him to get, and this guy's just like a stone he's like a rock this kid just kind of sits there staring at him and then Goodman gets the baseball back and out trashes his car and then this guy comes out it's like it's not even the kid's car he's just made these assumptions that he's gone out bought a car with the money that he stole and it's just it's hilarious absolutely hilarious um, again just oh, man it, I think I, I think the period at which this film was made, I think the character of Lebowski hit a nerve. Because um, I think some, another film that feeds very well into this is Clerks, is uh, Kevin Smith's kind of take on the world, I guess. I think the dude would sit very well in a Kevin Smith film. I think he would, f I, I think he would be friends with Jay and Silent Bob. I think he would work very well with them. Um, yeah, I'd say the dude's more like a Randall character rather than a Dante character. You no, know, Dante yeah. was kind of neurotic. Randall yeah. just kind of was his own man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I think that early 90s, or early to mid 90s, it's mainly mid 90s, Pulp Fiction, Clerks, that kind of emergence of, of, of filmmaker. That, that kind of just hit in the, in the mid-90s, mm. definitely fed into this. And I think that um, 90s male, I think, I think that was kind of... It, it was the 90s male. It was the personification of a particular 90s male. You know, when, when geek culture was starting to really come to the fore, when people were starting to be unapologetic for being a geek... Um, before the Nazis came along and then it actually became cool to be a geek. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that Lebowski sits in 
to that. And I think, if anything, this is the Cohen's way of examining that kind of character. What is his place in the universe? Where does he fit within a world that is not prepared, I wouldn't say to catch up with him, but to to, to fall back to his level, yeah. so to speak? Um, I think that's what the film is really about, I guess. Uh, it's something like that in there. And I, I do, like you, I, I think it's just such an enjoyable ride. I just have a blast with these characters. It mm. makes me laugh more than the uh, the five times that is deemed necessary to make something a successful comedy. I'm, I'm laughing at least once every scene. Uh, I think it's a great film. As you say, one of the Coen's best. Five out of five from me. So we're going to move into our top fives. Yeah, so we're going to do top five Coen Brothers movies. Um, yeah. We've got quite a list to choose from, must be said. Uh, it, I will say, when, when I looked on Letterboxd, because I prepared, a, a, as I always do with these things, I prepared a list of all the Coen Brothers movies that I've seen. Um, I've seen all but two of theirs mm. um, th th there was a couple more actually where they did segments in movies mm. um, but the, as for their feature films where they directed the whole thing I did uh, I, th there's two that I've not seen uh, one of them is the new one that's just come out on Netflix and yeah. the other one is Inside Lewin Davis um, yeah. so they're the two I've not seen I will say there are actually a few on here that, and, and I guess this is only because of how good they can be. Like, there's, there's four on here where I'm like, nah, I don't really feel like I need to watch them again. One, on, one of them's an absolute stinker, and I'd say that's the Lady Killers. I won't give any, any more away mm. than that because I don't think Lady Killers is appearing on anybody's top five <laughs> Coen Brothers uh, list. Let's, let's face it. Um... But yeah, that's definitely the worst of theirs. Mm. And like I said, there's three more that I can probably live without seeing again. Um, but yeah, there's there's a a clear kind of there's six six of their movies that I've given five star a five star rating. So yeah, I would say my top five are all five star movies as well. Mm. And this was mm. this was something I I was fretting about doing. Because I feel as if it's such a daunting task, pick five. And then I was, it, it, like the dude, I had a zen moment where I was like, you know what, you can pick ten, a hundred people, they're all going to have different top five yeah. Coen Brothers movies. So I just scanned their filmography, picked out the five that I would love to watch again at a drop of a hat. My top five is complete, as easy as the dude would do it. Okay. I, so. I will say it does pain me to have that number six choice. You know, I'd, I'd love to make this a top six just because, <clears throat> I mean, how many, how many filmmakers can you say that about? How many mm. filmmakers can you do a top five in which all five of those movies are five-star movies, you know? Yeah, and then you've got another one, another one that's a five-star movie which you can't put on. I mean, I don't know about your sixth or seventh or whatever. I don't know if there's any more you would give a five, but... Um, right, so who, who's going to go first here, Brian? Go on, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I've already mentioned it, Raising Arizona. Um, a, a lot of nostalgia feeds into this film for me. Mm. But 
at the end of the day, nostalgia or not, it's a damn good film. The characters, again, you know, so offbeat, so quirky. Um, it's got a kidnapping plot, which is another constant theme throughout yeah. um, their body of work. Uh, if, you, if you look at all of their films, I would say at least half of them involve some kind of kidnapping plot. Um, like I say, this is one of their earliest. It's great. It's funny. It's got one of the best Nicolas Cage performances that he's ever done. Um, you know, I, for me, it's it's my favourite Nicolas Cage performance. It's bef before he became a big action star mm. in the nineties. Um, uh, yeah, everyone in it. John Goodman again, just just really nailing it. John Goodman is actually one of my favourite actors. He's that guy who. I mean, we've said this on Brits on Flicks before, you know, uh, he's that guy who, you put him in anything and he'll, he'll, just, he'll just bring it, you know, he, mm. he can steal a scene. Uh, and, yeah, just Raising yeah. Arizona, brilliant film. If you haven't seen it, I just, I couldn't recommend it enough, especially if you're a fan of the Coen brothers in general, but this is the one that maybe has escaped you. For me, mm. it was my introduction to them, and it's just—it's a film that has just stuck with me since. Uh, so many great moments, like the the, the biker, the, yeah. the Satan. What is he? Is he a demon? He could be the devil himself. Um, just the way he comes on the scene and shoots that rabbit, blows up the, uh, <laughs> throws the dynamite and blows up the rabbit. Um, but yeah. yeah, brilliant film. I'll, I'll say no more, just in case you want to elaborate on it, but. Um, my number five was the, the Coen Brothers debut movie, Blood Simple. Okay. Um, great admiration for this movie, and mm. I think they really made their mark by making this pulp, grimy detective story again. Um, all the people are duplicitous and grimy and dirty, and each one seems to be a, a little bit more um, dank or dirty than the one previous type of thing. You terrific performances especially from Emmett Walsh and I, I love I just love the, the sort of small pulpy grimy story that they've created here I don't think they've done anything that remotely comes close to it again in their filmography but um, it's one that I go back to every now and again and every time I do I'm like wow it's just that they just knocked out the park first time running so yeah Blood Simple's my number five okay my number four is No Country for Old Men, a film that won the Best Picture Oscar in a year that actually had some amazing contenders and even some that didn't become contenders but should have done. Uh, you know, and it, It's the same year that uh, Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford was released, uh, a film that should have been nominated for Best Picture as far as I'm concerned, another mm -hmm. Roger Deakins effort as well uh, there. Um, there Will Be Blood was released that year. You know, for me personally, that probably should have won Best Picture. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was definitely a year that had a lot of great contenders. Um, but No Country for All Men. It, it's it's very serious film. Uh, you know, a lot of the Coen brothers' work can go into zany, kind of offbeat, quirky comedy. Uh, they could be hit and miss with that. I think. I think, like the majority of my top top films of theirs do tend to air more on the serious side. But mm. um, yeah, this is probably their darkest, most serious work that they've done. 
Yeah. Uh, the whole cast, again, as is typical with their work, fantastic performances. Um, just Anton Chigurh as a character that they've created. One of, one of the best characters, one of the best characters to come out of um, cinema in, in the past two decades, for sure. Um, really scary, really creepy. Kind of like the Terminator, really. Mm. It just, you know, will not stop until you are dead. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, a film that has something to say about the modern world. I think if, if The Big Lebowski is about the... Uh, the more kind of modern man who is is just trying to detach himself from from everything that is high flying and business related and capitalist and all that, and just you know like you say goes zen, then I guess this is a film that's more about where are we heading as a result of our our narcissism, our um, greed, our just inability to escape our sinful nature, mm. I guess. Um, yeah. And, and I know a lot, yeah, a lot of people have the tr had trouble with the ending of this film um, because it's very abrupt. You know, we follow mm. this character, something happens to this character, it's all very abrupt, it all just kind of suddenly gets wrapped up like that. We get one moment with Tommy Lee Jones kind of a bit dumbstruck. And that's the point. That's the point. You know, that's that's where... Is, is that where we're heading, basically? You know, where it, it's just... And it's just, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones' reaction to that at the end is perfect. Just the way he, he can't weigh up the evil that is in this world, that is of our own making. Um, and it, it scares him. Because he doesn't know, doesn't know what the answer is. He doesn't know where we're heading. So yeah, um, great film. Uh, five out of five, obviously, as I've already said. Yeah, uh, my number four is Inside Lewin Davis. Ah. Um, this okay. was this is one that got, um, it wasn't one of the more renowned Coen Brothers movies, and I was weary, very weary going into it, and I. I loved it. The, the main character of Liam Davis is horrible. He's not a nice character. You know, he, he makes the wrong choice at every single turn. He is constantly using people for his own gains. You know, not bad or malicious things, but just little gains to, so he can move along. And it's based in the sort of 60s within the folk music scene. I love the music that's all the way through the, the sort of movie itself. The, um, the current, the different kind of people that he bumps into he, he's kind of out of place out of home and, and is dossing about living with various people for days here and there trying to get his music um, back on track so to speak it's a couple of days within the life of this character and it's wonderful absolutely truly wonderful um, I don't hear enough people talking good things about this and when I thought about the list I thought this is going to be high up but there was other Cohen movies to, to bring down, but still make it onto my top five. I think that's an, an indication that I, I really do enjoy this movie and I really do recommend it to a lot of people. Um, it's not going to be the most accessible Cohen Brothers movie for everybody, but if, if you can find something to latch on to there, you're going to find a really enjoyable film about a not-so-enjoyable character. 
Can I, can I just ask, are there any films below your top five that still get that five-star rating? Um, I'd need to jump back on and have a look at their, this, but yes. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I could have put it above five. Like, it could have been more than five. I, I think right. they've got a tremendous career. Okay. Um, and and um, to be honest, when, when I was going to do my list, before I even sat down, I was like, yeah, I love their comedy output. The comedy output's the one that I really gravitate towards. Yeah, right, one of them really? made it onto okay. my top list. Okay. <laughs> I just, right. I don't okay. know. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Right, so, um, my number three is The Big Lebowski. Um, obviously, we've reviewed it on the, you know, the, the beginning yeah. of this show but yeah just an amazing comedy with amazing characters brilliantly written that yeah just is about stupid people doing stupid things uh, which is as I say the common trope in Coen Brothers movies hmm. um, my number three has one of my favourite protagonists that the, the Coen Brothers have uh, ever created with Marge Gunderson um, this is of course Fargo uh, a movie that like I said at the start I did not appreciate on first watch for what it was which is an absolute masterstroke of comedy it is an out and out comedy film and it is ridiculously funny we get William H. Macy who plays this type of character tremendously well a, a man who is so out of his depth <laughs> The mere threat of a conversation makes him run away. We get this heavily pregnant Marge Gunderson who is terrific. Um, she is more capable um, at eight months pregnant than almost the, the entire rest of the police force. She, um, she's often looking after them while she tries to track down um, what has happened. Um, just again, it's the conversations, it's the situations, it's the... Steve Buscemi and Peter Stramere, bad guys. Um, the one that never shuts up and the one that never talks. Of course, the, the memorable scenes like the wood chipper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I always remember that scene because uh, I, I, I remember I, I watched Fargo. The first, first time I watched Fargo was with my mum and dad. Um, and I just remember when that scene hit, when they go around the co- when she goes around the corner and she she sees him with the leg the in the wood chipper, my dad just erupted in laughter, just like just like fits of laughter, and he set my mum off. Um, my, 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 I'm like, my mum's not particularly you know she's not particularly into violent movies you know she she'd rather watch something else, but just the fact that it set my dad off in absolute hysterics. Then she was gone and I was gone. And we, we kind of had to rewind the next two minutes of the film just because we hadn't paid attention to anything that had gone on because we were just in hysterics at that moment. Mm. But that, that is my one overriding memory of Fargo. But it, it is, as you say, it, it's a great film. Great film. Again, it's, it's 90 minutes and it mm. is... I mean, you can say whatever you want, crime, black comedy, whatever, no... It, for me, is an out-and-out out comedy movie, and it marvels at that. Yeah. 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 Brilliant, brilliant film. Yeah, it's a five-star film for me, but it's not my number two. My number two is Miller's Crossing. Uh, yeah, just... 
Man, like the first time I saw this film, I'm like, why do people rant and rave about The Godfather, Scarface, Goodfellas, Casino, Miller's Crossing, dude, as, as a gangster film, hmm. is it's flipping up there, you know? Like, I, I would take Miller's Crossing over any of those other films I've just mentioned. And that's... That, that's you know, that's saying a lot, because those are the films I've mentioned I, I perfectly accept are absolute classics. But mm. Miller's Crossing never gets put in contention, never gets put included in the conversation when people are talking gangster movies, you know, like the, the absolute best gangster movies. And this, for me, is just... I mean, for one, it's set in the proper gangster era. Like, yeah. you know, you, you, you good old-fashioned... Tommy gun toting prohibition era prohibition era Chrysler driving gangsters you know mm. that's that's the era that I kind of like if you're going to do a gangster movie that's the era I really like and this this movie is just phenomenal absolutely mm. phenomenal um, again it's, it's that thing that the Coen brothers do they they just they they make these characters that you just get sucked into you know into their world and, and follow gabriel byrne here doing really good performance uh, as usual um and uh, what's his name john Turturro is really great in this i like john Turturro doesn't really do that much of any great note unless he's working with the cohen's hmm. for, for me personally I, I can't think of a right lot of films where he's been great where he's you know he's been a bit of a scene stealer where he wasn't working with the Coen brothers. Um, you know, I'm not saying he's bad, I'm not saying I don't like him, but I just think... They get the best out of him. Yeah, that's where he belongs. And he plays this guy who's you know, he's a bit of a traitor. Well, not a bit, he, he's a traitor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he, he's a weasel. He, yeah, he's a weasel, and it catches up with him. And then he's, you know, he's, that's, that scene where he's oh, pleading for yeah. his life, it's just... Yeah, it's, it's 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 gritty, it's brilliant. There's a really great shootout in it. I just I love it. I love the era. I love the cinematography. I wouldn't be surprised if that was Roger Deakins again. It certainly has the feel of a Roger Deakins uh, kind of look about it. Um, but yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. If you if you like gangster movies and you've not seen it and you, and you're still one of them, you, you know, Holden, Goodfellas and all them lot. Up in high regard, with good reason, mind. Mm -hmm. Don't think I'm not thinking there isn't good reason to do that. But you've not seen Miller's Crossing. Get your ass out there now and get a copy. Get a copy and watch it, because it's fantastic. It's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, that scene you're talking about where he's begging for his life and you have these golden brown leaves in the ground, the sort of barren trees, that you've got images that later on with a hat going down it. It's all very memorable, which is why it's my number two as hey. well, Brian. Yes. Um, it's, it's, and again, the Coen brothers take a, a typical story. You have a, a man in a town who starts playing off two warring factions against each other, you know, playing them against each other. You've seen it done plenty of times before, but again, the Coens elevate it and imbue it with these characters, with these situations, a look, a style that just puts it far and above its contemporaries. It, it is a terrific movie with amazing performances and, like you say, production value, 
um, it, it, it looks the part. They always get these great production sets designed and all that, and it's just one of these movies that it sticks with me. It's been a few years since I saw it, actually. Do you know what? I, I need to watch this pretty soon. It's one of these ones that when you put it on, nothing's going to drag you away from the screen. Absolutely nothing. You will sit, you will be captivated until this thing ends because it's a marvellous piece of movie making. Absolutely. Mm. Definitely. Okay, which brings me to number one, um, which I think might surprise a lot of people, but yeah, it's true grit. Uh, <laughs> I love a good Western, and this is a damn good Western. Um, it's also one of the best remakes ever made, although the Coens won't actually... They don't, they don't really refer to it as a remake. They, the way they see it is they're readapting the book. They're, mm. they're, they're made, their source of inspiration is the book. Um, well, after but, the Lady Colours, do they want to see remake again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, either way you cut it, it's a remake. It's a film that's been made before. It's very, very similar to the original with regards to the story, obviously, because it's still, it's still adapting the same book. So you you can't you know you can say what you want you're not going to escape the fact that it, it is it bears the hallmarks of a remake. I don't think that's anything to be ashamed by because like I say as far as remakes go, this is up there with the thing as you know this this is one of the best remakes I've ever seen. Um, you know I, I I'm not a big western guy. I'm not the one who you know just sticks on any John Wayne film. Right? I'm, I'm not actually that partial to John Wayne. I don't really like John Wayne movies i zone out during them uh, i'm more of a clint eastwood guy myself but when a, when a western can be as good as unforgiven when it's hitting that kind of bar then i'm all in and this is certainly one of those films uh again it, like it's it, it's saying the same stuff we always say with the coins they've got a brilliant cast who all do great work Really great performances, particularly the girls. Haley Steinfeld, Steinfeld, yes. yep. um, one of the best performances I've ever seen from a, a performer of that age. Absolutely incredible, really incredible performance. Um, you know, and she's actually the age of the person yeah. that they're trying to portray in the novel, unlike you know the the actress in the original film, which adds a much better dynamic to it I think because mm -hmm. when she's in trouble it, it, it makes me a lot more nervous I guess um, I, I don't know why that should be the case or why it is the case but it, it, it is a simple fact of the matter um, just yeah some great characters like Matt Damon's character again mm -hmm. he's a bit of an imbecile but not not full tilt Cohen imbecile um, <laughs> and and you kind of feel sorry for the guy, you know, and, and in the end, he's, you know, he, he's a bit of a douche when we're first introduced to him, but in the end, he becomes part of the team, you know, he becomes mm -hmm. part of their unit, and I like the way that that progresses, that they do, as the movie goes on, they do start to become this family, you know, you've got Jeff Bridges, who essentially becomes the surrogate father to this girl, and then Matt Damon, who comes along and kind of becomes the surrogate uncle. Or you know, it's yeah, it's it's great. Josh Brolin's really good, really menacing as the villain. Mm -hmm. 
and just yeah i just love the story of this this girl whose parents have been murdered and she hires this guy who's got a reputation for being the best hires him to go and track down these killers so that she can bring them to justice and she refuses to stay behind she has to go with him um yeah like i say it just creates really interesting relationship between this drunken worn out bum of a man and this this young feisty girl who will stop at nothing to seek justice um yeah, yeah great film one of the best westerns ever made. If I did a top ten westerns, it would be in my top five. It's up there with Unforgiven. Uh, brilliant stuff. My favourite Coen Brothers film. No. Um, my favourite Coen Brothers movie this week is uh, <laughs> The Big Lebowski. It, it just because you watched it this week. <laughs> very probably, um, but it is an unadulterated joy for me um, they do divide in, indeed I, I love every character that is on show here I love the plot I love the lack of plot at certain points um, I do love the way the conversations feel honest you, you know that this group of friends that <laughs> are very antagonistic towards each other but still have that camaraderie uh, speaks to me I think the character is, is wholly unique and uh, there is a reason that it's still in the zeitgeist because it, it was a terrific uh, thing and, and this we should be mentioned as well The Big Lebowski was a bit of a, a flop when it came out you, you know critically and performance wise mm. it's grown in cult sca- yeah. stature over the years but it's also yeah. developed a religion <laughs> the, the, there's actually a, a religion <laughs> of dudism <laughs> dudism oh, um, but yeah the Big Lebowski for me is is a fantastic Coen Brothers movie and it's one that I would happily watch at the drop of a hat. Mm. Yeah. So there we go. Okay. Just quickly run down your top five again. Just um, Blood Simple, Inside Loon Davis, Fargo, Miller's Crossing, The Big Lebowski. Wow. So so we, we share two in common. We've got two, two in our top five. Wow. So um, I will say... I mean, I've, I think I've already alluded to it. Uh, Fargo was that number six film that it did pain me not to put it in there. Um, but yeah, uh, there's, there's four films of theirs after that that I would give a four-star rating to. Um, right. And then a couple couple that I would... Well, I think... Yeah. The, the, the rest I would give like a good solid three star rating I think um, except for Lady Killers which is just I'll never watch again yeah it's poor it's mm. poor um, I've yeah. watched the, the new one that's on Netflix as well right. and it's, a, it's an anthology movie of six mm-hmm. stories um, and I feel that it's it's almost like a bit of every single Cones movie wrapped into one. <laughs> it feels like they've run through the greatest entire. hits. Yeah, it's, it's drama, it's comedy, right. it's all Wild West. Okay. It's so much fun. Um, I, I like that a lot. It's not five star, right. but it's a very good movie. Yeah, okay. I, I wish I could have seen it in the big screen. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Honestly. Um, so there. Yeah, there I'll we have forward, it. Top five. Look forward to seeing that. Excellent. Okay, there you go. Mm. So, Brian, our next segment. Yeah, uh, so this is the part of Brits on Flicks in which one of us will give clues to the other 
of five different films and that person will then pick, based on those clues, which film we shall be watching. Um, mm. So this month it is me who is running down the clues and it is Graham who is going to pick one. Which film will be our next? Okay, here goes. Number one. Uh, oh, and, and I've done these all in the trailer man voice thing. Um, so they all start with, when one man. So, <laughs> but I'm not going to use that voice because it'll just get annoying. So, when one man kills another for breaking into his house, it leads to a bloody and violent trail of revenge. Hmm. Number two. One man has only weeks left to find a mate. Otherwise, he might be forced to undergo a transformation. Ah, okay. <clears throat> Number three. One man is hunted for a crime he has not yet committed. Hmm. Number four. One woman finds herself swept up in a radical plot to assassinate a ruthless intelligence agent. And number five, when one man learns of his impending death, he must find the person responsible in order to convince them that he is worth saving. Hmm. <coughs> um, I, I think there's, there's one that I know, I believe, uh, the, the lobster. Okay. Um, which I think was number two. Okay. One man must find a mate. Okay. Is that is that number two? One man. That's, no, that's number two. Yeah, one number man three. needs to find yeah. a mate. Yeah, I've got to get rid of that. I'm gonna get no, gonna get rid of number two, yeah. which was indeed the lobster, a film yeah. I have not seen yet. So please don't spoil anything about it. I, I haven't seen it either. Oh right, okay. Right, but I I just don't feel like it's a December kind of movie. <laughs> It didn't even occur to me when I was putting these together, man. You know, I should have put um, some Christmas movies together. Yeah, I, I don't oh, know if it's one. <laughs> what a missed opportunity. Okay, never um, mind. It doesn't, doesn't feel like a kind of cheery one that I, I want to, to say. No. Um, no. Some interesting ones here, Brian. Can we run through the rest again, please? Okay. When one man kills another for breaking into his house, it leads to a bloody and violent trail of revenge. One man is hunted for a crime he has not yet committed. One woman finds herself swept up in a radical plot to assassinate a ruthless intelligence agent. When one man learns of his impending death, he must find the person responsible in order to convince them that he is worth saving. See, these all sound quite interesting, actually. <laughs> What's the chances that I've seen some of them before? I think you have... You've definitely seen... You've definitely seen one of them. Mm. The other three I'm not too sure about. It could go either way. I would like to think you have, but right. I don't know. Maybe not. They, they, they could be... I, I reckon you probably own them. Because you pretty much own every Blu-ray that's ever been... Um, you make it very hard to try and buy Christmas presents for, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I think I'm going to get rid of 
and, and it's just going to be a crapshoot now because I think I would say I'm interested in all of these um, <clears throat> I think I'm going to get rid of number two you've got rid of number two already yeah I'm just reaffirming That's... that <laughs> I'll, I'll get rid of number three then okay you've got rid of minority report right okay yeah I've seen that that was um, the one that I was pretty sure you had seen okay. uh, initially and I know it's not right but the, the one man um, kills a man breaking in his house for some reason my initial thought went to American History X so that's right. what's wrong with me um, okay so we've got the, the, the break in the house, we've got mm -hmm. the woman uh, assassinating the government agent, and the, the last one was what again? The last one was, when one man learns of his impending death, he must find the person responsible in order to convince them that he is worth saving. I'm going to get rid of that one. <laughs> that's the one that I was secretly rooting for um, okay that one is one of my personal favourite movies of all time and probably the most underrated movie of all time Stranger Than Fiction by one of the most underrated directors of all time Mark Forster um, I've not seen that oh <laughs> so. Um, so I've got Break in the House Revenge or... Political Assassination. Well, uh, Intelligence Assassination. Mm. This is hard, Brian. I'm leaning towards one, I think. Um, I, think I, want, I think I want to get rid of... Four. Is it four? One and four I've got left? Yeah, I think we're going to get rid of four. Are you sure? No. <laughs> You're going with number four? Mm. You're getting rid of number four? Yeah. Okay, number four is a film that I have tried to get on Brits on Flicks <laughs> before. Um, I probably will stop trying to get it on now because clearly it never seems to work. And that film is Ang Lee's Lust Caution. Um, <laughs> I've not seen that one either. One of the best spy movies ever made. Oh. Um, just, I'll, I'll put that out there right now. So, yeah, okay. So you went with one man kills another for breaking into his house. It leads to a bloody and violent trail of revenge. <clears throat> and that film is Cold in July. Oh, I've not seen this one, and I love ah, the director. Yes, so he's the director of Stakeland. Oh, yeah. um, I've not seen it either, so this will be an interesting one. Um, Michael C. And Hall. The, Michael C. Hall, yeah. Uh, the top five for next month's episode will be top five vigilante movies. And just to clarify, I'm saying vigilante movies, not superhero movies, vigilante movies so the word vigilante as i looked it up on google <laughs> means a member of a self-appointed group of citizens who undertake law enforcement in their in their community without legal authority 
typically, typically because the legal agencies are thought to be inadequate. So basically, someone who takes the law into their own hands. Um, so we're not we're not talking superhero movies so much. You know, they're not trying to be. You're not trying trying to aspire to greatness. They're a vigilante. An injustice has been done, usually against them, and they're taking the law into their own hands. Um, so, yeah. Like I said, I've not seen Cold in July, so how much that applies to it, I don't know. It's just the idea of this guy shooting someone because he's breaking into his house. That's kind of taking matters into your own hands. So that's why I went with top five vigilante movies. So. That's, that's good enough for me, Brian. That's something I'm going to have to put my okay. thinking cap on for. Mm. Um, no, it's what order to put the top five dish with movies in? Def, you know, there's a death wish one and two and three. And <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just going to be a death wish ranking video, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Um, yeah, right. I'll definitely think about that. Fantastic. I think we've had a good episode here talking about some fantastic filmmakers, and I, I, we're going back to the the never seen movie before, so. He's yeah. hoping we've got something to talk about in the next episode. I hope so. Yeah, so um, as always, we appreciate your patronage, listening to us babble on about movies, and of course, if you would like to pop over to iTunes and give us a rating, we would greatly appreciate that. It strokes our egos ever so uh, gently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know it's got weird. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Just because he doesn't want to turn into some machine.